As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. As we begin this 10 days of mourning and our commitment to London here with Bloomberg Surveillance, it is good to speak to the editor-in-chief of Bloomberg, John Micklethwaite. And what is important here is his commitment to the literature with Adrian Woldridge and the number of books that they have put out over the years. I want to go to a what if, John, because we do not know the schedule forward. There is, and the first time I walked into it, I fell apart, Westminster Hall, not Westminster Abbey. Mm -hmm but this small hall right next to it that, that one person on a night in 1941 said, we need to save Westminster Hall, let the commons burn. And there has to be some heritage there, some symbolism as you mourn your queen. Well, I think Westminster Hall also is the place, as I remember it, and I may have got this wrong, that I think Charles I went to shortly before he was executed, and there have been countless other people. So it is, it is actually very um, related to the monarchy and to British history, and so it's right at the middle of things. I do think, actually, strangely, in this case, I think there is something very... Um, your sense of history, Tom, is correct, is that there is something at this precise moment very sort of historical about this, and there's also a sense of the monarchy from an earlier age. If you look at the inheritance from Charles's point of view, he is coming into a kingdom that um, is in danger of breaking up. He is coming into a kingdom that has got poor relations with its ancestral um, other half in, in France and Germany and things like that. Mm -hmm. And he's also got a, a sort of brand new chancellor, if you want, under the old terms, in Liz Truss. So there is a, there, it's, a, it's a not easy inheritance. And I think in terms of history, from the monarchy's point of view, um, this is an unusually difficult time, notwithstanding the, the, the huge amount of coming together that is happening at the moment. John, how do you expect that he is going to reposition this monarchy? in the world that you describe? I think, I think it's a mixture between trying to keep the, the inherent strength that, that his mother had, which was the ability to bring people together. You and I just talking before, you could come from wildly different backgrounds in this country. You could come from wildly different races, genders, everything. And people saw this woman as a center of what this country was about. And in terms of international influence, she was, she was about as strong as soft power can get. Everybody you met around the world, doesn't matter, even talking to rulers in Asia last couple of weeks ago, they are still fascinated by this woman who has, after all, met everybody or did meet everybody. And so as a kind of weapon of soft power, 
she was extraordinary. Now you have a new person coming in. And I think for Charles, the sort of challenge is possibly to step back a little bit in terms of his advocacy. He's no longer the heir to the throne. He is actually the... He's, he now is the person at the middle of the English constitution. He selects who the prime minister can be. That, that means you have to perhaps become a slightly more objective figure. But the second thing is, you know, how, how do you update the monarchy quietly um, without losing that sense of, of power? When you talk about updating the monarchy, one thing that Queen Elizabeth II did was that she became an icon of culture. She became, as one historian said, she is Tower Bridge and a red double-decker bus on two legs, not to mention Big Ben, Afternoon Tea, Village Fets, and Sheep Flecked Hills. How much can the new uh, king, King Charles II, really move at a point uh, to King Charles III, come out and actually uh, represent something cultural? And if not, what relevancy will this monarchy have? It's quite interesting. The world in which, I was just thinking whilst you were talking, the world in which John and I grew up, obviously John, massively younger than me but the, but massively. the stamps <laughs> the basic fact is the thing you were used to seeing was the monarch's head on a stamp well now yeah we don't see as many stamps it's difficult to imprint a monarch's head on an email and, and, and issues like that i do think it is it's a question of rebranding when you looked at the um uh, jubilee celebrations um recently in which charles was right in the middle you know there were some things that worked putting great big images on on top of Buckingham Palace. There were other things which maybe just felt it was a bit like watching your, your kind of granddad trying to dance. Um, that, that, there, was, there was a little bit of that. So it's a very difficult thing. And at different times, the clever thing about the Queen is she was quite good at letting the junior royals go off and try things. There was a famous thing called It's a Knockout, which is too painful to go through, but that where they all dressed out. in medieval costumes and sort of threw sponges at each other. But that you was conveniently passed off. John, you know you've got to explain, to explain this, this now. This is amazing, go. It was a kind Please. of game show that had appeared on television, which the more I think about it, the less easy it is to defend to any audience that stretches beyond this, this particular kingdom. The, the royals had a game show? They did once, and it did not work out well. So they perhaps, that perhaps was something that they didn't went on a game show entirely work. They were like, it was like a guest version for charity. Um, but it didn't entirely work, and I cannot remember the full details of it, so please don't, I don't push me too, too hard on it. But John, it's probably but it a, was decent not a, place, success. a decent place to pause and reflect just for another moment. There have been times in the history of this royal family, even with Queen Elizabeth on the throne, where they've had difficulty connecting with the British people. Do you think King Charles is going to have that difficulty? And I think of a particular generation very much enamoured with the late Princess Diana, who were uncomfortable with Camilla, taking the title of queen? I think that my personal view is that that has moved on. I remember that very well, but my, my sense is that has moved on and Charles has sort of pushed himself, notwithstanding certain Netflix series, has pushed himself back into the, and several films, has pushed himself back into the middle and he is, he is now a more respected figure than he was then. I, but the interesting point is this, is that the thing that determines a monarch is that old sort of Harold Macmillan thing about events, dear boy, events. You know, the, it's what... It, nobody could have guessed what was going to happen to Elizabeth. Nobody can guess right. what's going to happen to Charles. Yeah. We know he faces some things like the possibility of Scotland and Northern Ireland maybe leaving his union. We're here for 10 days. Do you have a restaurant you like? Many, close to here, the Bloomberg Pantry stands out. The Bloomberg out. Pantry. <laughs> you know, Tom, Tom, Tom was banned from mentioning The Crown on Netflix for our whole time here. In <laughs> you just got full John clearance. Right there. 
right now an important moment with Mohammed El Arian, who's been such a friend of Bloomberg surveillance over the years. He is a president of Queen's College, Cambridge, and they are deeply affected by the death of their patron. Dr. El Arian, the history of Queen's College is extraordinary. We don't need to go over it now, but it is the back and forth of Queen and King over centuries and centuries back to roughly 1445. We now have a new transition as well. How do you perceive your patron and the shift to King Charles III? Tom, thanks for having me. Um, we are extremely sad at the passing of Her Majesty the Queen. I don't think I can find words that express the size and scale of the loss that's being felt um, by the United Kingdom by people around the world, and especially by our community, because as you say, she was our patroness. She visited the college. She encouraged and inspired generations of students, of faculty and of staff. So there's a real sense of loss right now and mourning and wanting to honor her incredible reign. Um, we're not looking forward to tell you the truth as to what next right now. This is a period mm -hmm. of deep reflection and gratitude for what Her Majesty the Queen did for Queen's College, Cambridge. One of the hallmarks of her reign was the diversity of the United Kingdom. Cambridge led on that as well, and some would say Mohammed Arian led on it as well. There's the shock of the trust cabinet, the senior officials showing the diversity of the United Kingdom. From the University of Cambridge, state the diversity that Queen Elizabeth brought. She would speak to everyone and, he would, and would encourage us to be more inclusive, more diverse, and to continue in the daily fight of reducing obstacle to access to a Cambridge education. It's all about access and participation. And Her Majesty was a leader in this regard. She believed in a very inclusive in, um, community. I cannot tell you that when she would come and visit us, she would spend as much time with the president as she would with the head gardener, with the head of our student body. She would go around and talk to people in a very personal and engaging fashion. And she was an inspiration in terms of inclusion and diversity. Mohammed, the last time she visited you was back in 2019, as recently as 2019. Can you share with us just a little something from that, how special that visit was for you and the college? It was incredibly special, John, um, not only because we were hosting Her Majesty for lunch, but we invited our community to come out and the joy with which they welcomed her to Queens and the interaction with her. Um, there are pictures on our website of her meeting with the students, meeting with the staff, um, spending time and caring and then it was a wonderful lunch in which we thanked her for her very strong support of our college. You know, she, she followed the Queen Mother, who was our patroness before her. Um, and it's been a constant for us, just like it has been a constant for the whole nation.
Mohammed, this has been one of the key points that people keep coming back to, that she was the embodiment of a spirit of the United Kingdom that will be hard to replace and that she really created the modern version of a monarchy. Can you give us a sense, a more tangible sense of why it is, especially for people outside of the United Kingdom, that she acted in this role even though she is a figurehead, right, that she is apolitical uh, by definition and that she is looking to remain a sort of a, a, a public relations persona rather than a leader like the parliament. It was Lisa, her inspiration. She has inspired so many in the United Kingdom and around the world. And, and I would argue she will continue to long inspire people around the world. So where did that inspiration come from? I think from three things. One, her empathy. She, she was very empathetic. She listened to people. Second, her dedication. She said it on day one that she would be dedicated to serve the nation. And she continued serving the nation for over seven decades as the monarch. And third was her responsiveness. So when you put these three things together, it, it sums up in inspirational leadership that overcomes all sorts of divisions within society and that was flexible enough to take the United Kingdom through massive changes. If you look at how different the United Kingdom of today is compared to the, the one of 70 years ago when she um, became queen, and she, she was able to navigate all that, inspiring us, inspiring a whole nation throughout that whole period. Mohammed, given how much things have changed, as you talk about, given Brexit, given the fact that the United Kingdom has shrunk in its scope with relation to some of these trade partnerships, or at least nomenclature, what is the new vision going forward? Does it adhere back to that one, or is this truly a marking of a new regime? You know, there are many challenges facing the United Kingdom, and that's true for the new prime minister who recognized that on day one. But I think, Lisa, right now, it's about Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. It's about mourning her death. It's about honoring her accomplishment and honoring her reign. Um, there will come the day when we will sit down and talk about all the challenges ahead. But I think this is a really important moment in history um, because she has played such an important role, not just in this country, but around the world. Mohammed, thank you for marking this moment in history with us. We appreciate it. And I think we all agree it's certainly not the day to discuss markets and the economy with you, Mohammed. Thank you very much for giving us your time this morning. Mohammed al in there of Queen's College, Cambridge. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs, to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. 
at Stiefel. It's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. We touch on another of the Queen's efforts, which is Chatham House. You've heard that name in America, less familiar, but in London, dominant is one of the great think tanks and places of perspective for the United Kingdom. Sir Robert Niblett joins us right now, director of Chatham House. And I thought on your website, the commitment of the Queen, particularly Robin, to the academics that you did in 2014, her leadership to jumpstart that project. Give us a window into 2014 and what the Queen did for Chatham. House. Tom, happy to. Um, I'm now a distinguished fellow of Chatham House. We have a new director as of a month ago, uh, Bronwyn Maddox, but um, I had the pleasure of That was hosting. my mistake, excuse me. No, it's fine. I had a pleasure of hosting uh, uh, Her Majesty uh, twice in recent years, uh, once for the Chatham House Prize in 2019 when she gave it to David Attenborough. But 2014 was when we launched uh, the Queen Elizabeth Academy for International Affairs. And I think one of the uh, big challenges uh, for institutions in London has been able to make sure that you're still well connected to young people around the world, engaging them in what London has to offer, what Britain has to offer as a place of independent thinking, which is what Chatham House about is as well. And Her Majesty uh, gave her name to the creation of a new academy came, uh, uh, met with uh, the first cohort of Academy Fellows uh, from all over the world. Um, and I think what we wanted to do by having this um, Academy named in her honor was capture the fact you're not going to have a patron of institution for 70 years very often. Uh, and it was absolutely remarkable, really mm-hmm. wonderful to be able to have to connect to that way, but also to, to be able to track some of the brightest, most uh, uh, driven change makers around the world to come and spend some right. time. She her example uh, is a draw. It was the most important part of Britain's soft power. And her example was the Commonwealth. There was a Commonwealth of the early 50s and the tumult of the 60s and 70s. What does Charles III's Commonwealth look like? It's going to be very difficult um, for a number of reasons. Uh, in a way, it was held together by respect for Her Majesty, for the Queen, um, as well as by that common sense of heritage of having formed part of the British Empire. But being forming part of the British Empire, even as independent nations, is now something that receives a lot more scrutiny uh, than it did in the past. Uh, and so what we're going to find, I think, in the coming years um, is potentially Charles having to uh, enable the Commonwealth to redefine its purpose amongst those nations without the glue uh, of Her Majesty the Queen uh, there to hold it together. We've already had... Uh, some moves away from having uh, the sovereign, uh, Her Majesty, as the head of state from one Commonwealth member, Barbados, uh, a year ago. And there's a worry that the whole review of the role of empire, slavery, and so on, will start to come back in and uh, put the UK in a much more difficult position in the future. 
Robin, we really do mark the end of an era, exactly as you say, not only a unifying force, but a redefinition of globalization, a redefinition of the United Kingdom and the broader uh, empire that it used to have, right? All of these redefining uh, aspects of the new moment, what will be the new definition of the next 10 years? How will uh, King Charles III come out and shape a new vision in the world as you see it? Look, the challenge that any monarch has here is that they can't establish a vision. They can't declare a vision to the rest uh, of the nation. In our constitutional monarchy, they really are the holders of continuity, but they're not the agents of, of political change and politics. So in a way, it will be up to this trust of future prime ministers to establish the vision of the country. What he has to communicate is, again, the linkage to the continuity. Part of, I'd say, Britain's soft power has been the fact that it has had such stable politics for so long. And however quickly the governments change or the prime ministers change, the fact that the head of state has continuity in the family is part of its power. So what the, the monarchy does is give space to, to governments to go through profound change without a sense that the whole nation is being called into question. So I think, uh, in a way, Prince Charles, who's leant forward quite a bit as a Prince of Wales on climate change, uh, on architecture, of biodiversity, um, on architecture, yeah. exactly, is now going to step back and have to, to become the cipher that the Queen was for what other people believe the nation is. It's going to be a really delicate change. You think there's some real estate investors that are happy with this in, in London that he might he might back away? I, I, I think they'll be happy for that reason. He won't be able to weigh in the way he did before. This Absolutely. is important though. The New Yorker, I read the New Yorker effort here of the last 24 hours and Robin Mead, uh, Rebecca Mead uh, was very good about this psychological shift that any monarch has to make, John. Yeah. He's Charles, and then he's King yes. Charles III. Yeah. Was it Chelsea Barracks? Was it Chelsea Barracks all those years ago? Yes, yeah, so which uh, the Qataris uh, yeah, had bought. And, uh, royal to royal, they were able to have a different type of conversation, I think. Amazing. <laughs> but I'm not getting myself into trouble. I, I love that. your pet projects. All I can no, say just, is know, I want to know the backstory. When I, when I used to live of, in Chelsea, I used yeah. to walk past there, and it was a big big conversation at the time. Actually, I was doing my, when I did my PhD at Oxford, as I was writing it, a building was being built in front in Magdalen College and done in all of the old style of Magdalen College, but being built in 19, whatever it was, 1930 or something. And at one point, as I watched the building go up, I suddenly saw this person walking across the top with a gaggle of people, and it was Prince Charles being shown around <laughs> the in the new building. And yeah. I, you know, I didn't have a mobile in those days, but it was the old building in the keeping, and I Amazing. have to say, it worked beautifully. So, I'm, I have to say, I'm maybe with we'll, him. Maybe I'm we'll with see him. the king doing that. Who knows? So, Robin Nibblet, thank you. Pleasure. So, thank you so much, distinguished fellow at Chatham House. I'm happy to say that joining us now is Sir Vince Cable, the former MP and visiting professor at the London School of Economics and Political Science. Sir Vince, fantastic to have you with us. Thanks for being Thank with you. us. Inevitably, we'll talk about change and what will change with a new monarch on the throne. What will change for you, sir? Well, I, I was privileged as a Privy Councillor, Cabinet Minister, to dealt with Her Majesty. And, you know, and I, I understand, as I've seen up close, the reasons why... The country has such uh, respect and affection for her um, and so it is a I mean this moment is on the one hand very predicted I mean we all knew this was going to happen but at the same time momentous and you have a whole generation of people you know 70 or under you've lived your whole life in the Elizabethan age um, I think for a politician I'm now a retired politician 
I think the significance was that although we had, you know, great change, turbulence, um, big secular changes over time, you know, the monarchy and the Queen were, was a kind of bedrock of continuity and stability throughout that, uh, and remains one of the sort of underlying strengths of the country. And it rests upon the fact that it is a constitutional monarchy, it doesn't have a political role, and uh, it will be very important that, that the new king you know, is seen by the world and the country as you know, totally a non-political figure. Sir Vince, I, th I think it's so important to speak to you here. I'd love to do a two-hour conversation with you right now. If you look at your party history as a kid, when you were at Cambridge and on from there, Glasgow and such, and then you find that you were the chief economist for Royal Dutch Shell for a while as well, you have a backdrop here of this emergency moment for your United Kingdom. How does Charles III provide support to Prime Minister Trust? Well, I, th I think given the way in which the monarchy works, and I think we all want it to continue to work, uh, I think there are very few Republicans in Britain, um, it, it is by respecting this boundary between politics and the head of state role. And um, I mean, King Charles, has, it's an enormously difficult job. I mean, he's been auditioning for this for 50 years. Uh, he could have stepped into the monarch role at any time and he it, it's required extraordinary self-discipline from him um, and it's been a very very difficult role and he's now as you say 73 and he's inheriting this responsibility i think one of the things he will be very mindful of um, bearing in mind you know the enormous respect for his mother who was scrupulously non-political through the whole of her reign I mean, he has at times, you know, strayed into the political world most recently over Rwanda, and he will, I think, in order to maintain the solidity of the monarchy, be very, mm -hmm. very careful not to go into Is that territory. Is the king territory. a liberal Democrat? Um, I have no idea. I mean, I, I met him a few times, and I, I, I liked what he did, and he was, you know, genuinely socially concerned individual. I have mm -hmm. absolutely no idea about his political I think leanings. Tom's trying to cause some trouble yes, here, Vince. Yes, of course. I think that's where that's going. I think this well, is such a delicate moment. because if as he we've was been a supporter, he didn't tell me. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been talking all morning about dovetailing uh, the death of a monarch who really represented the United Kingdom for so many years and grew up through steamboats until this, this you know, uh, smartphone. And we are here on the precipice of a massive fiscal package without the unity required to give confidence about how it will be executed, about how effectively it will be managed with respect to the fiscal profile of this nation. How are you watching this as a former member of parliament, the deliberations over the energy help uh, that, that Liz Truss has, pro has proposed to households? I'm surprised at the linkage that's been made with this big economic moment. I mean, they are, I think they are wholly separate. Uh, and I, I, I mean, certainly the new king will want to have absolutely nothing to do with the controversies around the fiscal package. And I shouldn't. Uh, I mean, his role is to provide, I mean, the phrase that you've been using, calm and continuity and stability amongst political and economic upheaval. That's his job. It's not to take up a position on these um, economic decision-making. I mean, that will happen anyway. The big change in the Treasury, of course, has been the loss or the sacking of the Permanent Secretary. I mean, that is the big event from an 
economic policy point of view, but, but the planning of the details of the fiscal package will proceed. And I, I, although there may be a slight hiatus in the announcements, um, nothing is going to happen to disturb the development of the policy. Well, things will pause. Events. We're just hearing from the Bank of England. The MPC announcement's been rescheduled to 22nd of September, to the 22nd of September. So I understand that's a one-week delay for the Bank of England. Lisa, I think that was the first thing you asked this morning of me when we landed. Are we still <laughs> going to get a Bank of England decision next week? And I said, I don't know. We'll see. And here we are. It is going to be delayed by one week. Yeah, and whether this actually gives them a little bit more certainty might be interesting to see as well, whether we get more fiscal uh, proposals more concretely from both the European Union as well as from Liz Truss's uh, team over in Parliament. Uh, Thomas, Savin said things will continue, but for now they pause. And we're seeing that with the Bank of England I, as well. I, and we'll see that with a whole host of events that were scheduled to take place over the next 10 days. As I mentioned, my template for this in a very different moment was 1963. I had the clearest memories of how America paused for the funeral of President Kennedy. Why is this different, as we saw with the Premier League 20 minutes ago, now with the Bank of England? Who's going who's gonna to push against those institutions? To Vince Cable, can we say thank you? Thank you very much for being with us. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you We appreciate your time, sir. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more, Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Steeple and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Steeple's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Steeple last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. She is steeped in theory. Marilyn Watson joins us now, head of Global Fundamental Fixed Income Strategy at BlackRock. Marilyn, not to make the pun of the moment, but which rock do I hide under right now? I mean, within a bond portfolio is a simple solution to shorten duration? So I think, um, as you say, there are a lot of uh, moving parts at the moment, um, particularly in, say, we have the ECB, but the Fed coming up um, in a couple of weeks' time. Um, obviously, the Bank of England have shifted slightly out um, their date as well. But we are seeing a lot of volatility in the markets at the moment. And I think you've hit the nail on the head there in terms of where do you find uh, some yields? Where do you find uh, maybe a little bit of safety in the markets? I certainly think now the shifts that we've seen in terms of yield and in terms of spread, we do see a lot more attractive carry in the market, whether it's uh, in U.S. duration. Um, you know, we've seen obviously 
rates there to get the front end, um, you know, shift significantly. And I do think if you're looking sort of at the front end in terms of quality carry, then now I do think there are some very attractive areas for you to invest in fixed income. But we are expecting to see this continued volatility going forward over the next few months as we have inflation still incredibly high in the US, uh, in the Eurozone, right. in and elsewhere, um, and a lot of decisions to be made. On a nonlinear basis, the path from under 2% on a 10-year yield in March, and up we go. If we do break out where many expect to go, three and a half. 3.65, 3.9%, 10-year yield. How does that change your world? So it doesn't change it that significantly in the fact that I think we, among with many other investors, are still relatively cautious around the rate path going forward and in terms of where the peak might be in terms of rates. We expect it to peak, the terminal rate to be maybe around just under 4%. But I think um, looking at the path now, if you if you do see a little bit of a spread there in terms of where the terminal rate might be and where the top of uh, the yield might be, I think you know we're, we're expecting that. We're expecting volatility. I think a lot of investors are expecting the same as well. We still 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 have a lot of money invested, um, you know, in very safe assets. We have money still on the sidelines in terms of cash. We do expect to see a lot more supply going forward. We see expect to see a lot of opportunities actually. So I think. You know, looking at the market at the moment, as we do have you know, quantitative tightening going on, as the you know the Fed is reducing its balance sheet, as rates continue to rise in the U.S. and elsewhere, we can actually use this volatility to take advantage of valuations where we see them. So let's talk about some of the guides that you use, Marilyn, when you're looking for opportunities at a time when we have inflation that may, just may, come down to 8.1% in the euro region, or that's the expectation on average, and then go down to 2.8% several years from now. This is the baseline, and some would say even optimistic, projection from the ECB. We've got the same kind of talk from the Federal Reserve. How do you factor inflation into your forecast? Is that the reason why you're underweight duration, or is it the fiscal response that really has your attention? Um, so it's both. And I think the the fiscal um, um, packages that you mentioned and the fiscal response are going to play into um, inflation going forward as well. And potentially they might make the job of central banks that a little bit harder if we do have you know these very sizable packages that we're seeing um, coming through from the UK, um, the US and you know in the Eurozone as well. Inflation does play obviously a very key role in terms of um, you know, central bank monetary policy, but also obviously the yields of bonds going forward. And it is something that we do pay very keen attention to. Here in the US, obviously next week, we have some very significant data coming out in terms of inflation, CPI, PPI, and the Fed will obviously be paying very close attention to those as it then goes into the following week, its monetary policy stance announcement. The Fed have announced that they are going to continue to be very aggressive in terms of trying to get inflation back down towards their 2% target. And so inflation does play a very key role. And I think at the moment, in terms of central banks, they're also very concerned about credibility and the fact that you know investors, they don't want investors to be anchored in high inflation expectations. It's very important for them, for investors and for the market to see inflation coming down and to view the credibility of central banks in bringing that inflation rate down um, and I think that is absolutely critical. 
Marilyn, when you talk about the idea of credibility, we talk about the idea that the ECB is not projecting a recession, even as they get inflation down at a time when even the CEO of Deutsche Bank is saying that a recession is all but inevitable in Europe's biggest economy. What does that do for their credibility, that we are not hearing the recession calls from the central bank to a Wall Street, to a city in London, to the rest of Europe that's seeing a very different picture? Yeah, so I think in terms of the credibility, the very aggressive hawkish stance that uh, they took yesterday in terms of raising rates by 75 basis points by announcing that they're going to continue to raise rates on a pretty aggressive path. Um, They mentioned, they referenced maybe two to five meetings um, and they referenced that they could go above the terminal rate. So they were, in terms of the rhetoric and the decisions that they made yesterday, relatively hawkish. However, I think it took a lot of the market by surprise that the growth forecasts, particularly for this year, were much higher than I think a lot of people expected. And next year, still a very positive um, number, um, albeit much lower in terms of GDP. I think there's just so much uncertainty out there. I do think there's a lag in terms of some of the data coming through for the Eurozone GDP numbers. Um, But the huge amount of uncertainty that we have yet to see as we go into winter in terms of the impact of um, energy prices um, that will have, you know, potentially a negative impact um, on GDP further and more that has been priced in at the moment. I think that's the difficulty. So if you were to have a fan chart, I think you'd see it would be very, very wide in terms of what the ECB was projecting. But that middle number, um, I think, yeah, aiming, potentially aiming maybe for a positive, for a positive number. But I think the risk of uncertainty is very, very high at the moment. Marilyn Watson of BlackRock. Marilyn, thank you. Marilyn, thank you. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and, of course, on The Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.